Welcome back to another session of Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. This is a streamed and recorded casual chat with hobby and passion podcasters or those that want to give advice to hobby and passion podcasters to share their experience, knowledge, and joy of podcasting. Once this live stream is over, I'm going to go ahead and take these recorded files and turn it into a podcast. Better Podcasting is a project by Stephen John Drew and myself to help hobby and passion podcasters start their podcasts and make their existing projects better, thus the name Better Podcasting. Now, since I last recorded a chat, once again, I am sorely disappointed this week that Artemis 1 was scrubbed for its second launch attempt and may not try another attempt until October, or at least very late September, due to a variety of issues including a liquid hydrogen fueling issue and a temperature sensor issue on the main stage RS-25 engines. And honestly, who could blame the engines anyway? It's been a minute since they've been used. These same engines have been used in the space shuttle launches, a few different space shuttle launches into orbit. So they're tired. They need to get their mojo back and everything. I get it. I'm still having a ton of fun podcasting about the Disney Plus series She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, over on my other podcast, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we added two new podcasts to the Gunna Geek Network last Friday, Smoking and Drinking in Space and Smoking and Drinking in Capes. Well, really, it's the same hosts on two different topics on alternate weeks. Smoking and Drinking in Space is about science fiction-related film and TV shows. And Smoking and Drinking in Capes is about superpowered individuals and based on their uh, TV shows and films. So go check that out over at gunnageek.com, Smoking and Drinking in Space, and Smoking and Drinking in Capes. In case you are new to Better Podcasting Chats with SP, if you are a hobby or passion podcaster, I'm interested in chatting with you. And if you want to schedule a time to chat with me about your podcasting experience and your podcast, please send me an email to stargatepioneer at betterpodcasting.com or a DM on Twitter or Discord and we'll arrange a date. I'm excited to chat with true crime podcasters, audio drama podcasters, tabletop role-playing podcasters, podcasters about genres like science fiction, superheroes, television dramas, fantasy, video game podcasters, cartoon-based podcasting shows, science and tech-based podcasters, Weekly variety shows, comedy podcasters, entertainment news podcasters, sports podcasters, podcasters about literature and arts, health and fitness podcasters, leisure-based podcasters. I don't care if you're brand new to podcasting, if you're thinking about starting a podcast, or if you've been podcasting since 2004. If you are an award-winning podcaster, as long as you can relate a topic for other hobby podcasters, I would love to chat with you. I have a variety of different podcasters lined up to chat with in the span of the next couple of months, and I look forward to each of them, but I am also looking forward to hearing from you about scheduling a time to come on these shows with me. And as a note, the Better Podcasting website now contains this show, Better Podcasting Chats with SP. Go to betterpodcasting.com. And you will see the link for the shows and you can get all of these chats right there on the website. Today, I'm chatting with a podcast executive producer who started out in the podcasting space at iHeartRadio. Recently, he moved over to WebMD to build an entire slate of podcasts. 
When he isn't producing shows with tens of millions of downloads, he lends a hand moderating the R Podcasting subreddit and working on side projects, including mycology, cyberdex, 3D printing, and woodworking. He's located in Atlanta and enjoys spending time with his dog, Ender. Please welcome to the chat, Lowell Brilliante. All right. Did I get that right? I mean, I yeah. heard the whole thing on your Prodigy podcast episode about how to say your last name, and I thought I got it right, but I just wanted to make sure. I think so. I still don't know, so. All right. What inspired you to enter into podcasting? Yeah, I just needed a job, and um, I knew a guy, and that's how I got into it, really. So you had no desire before knowing a guy to get into podcasting? No, all my motivation was based on not wanting to work at the place I currently had worked at. Oh, okay. Yeah. We all spend our times at fast food restaurants. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> so in addition to producing though, you have been behind the microphone yourself, as I was just talking about with the Prodigy podcast. And what was the premise of that show? Oh, uh, have you ever read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell oh, or like, yes, yeah, like the 10,000 hour rule. So it was basically sort of stemmed out of that. Um, so like, where does um, talent come from? Or yeah, you know, I just thought it was like an oversimplification. And so that's sort of where it stemmed out of. And then after I covered that in episodes one to three, like nature versus nurture, I just started covering whatever was interesting to me, as long as it was sort of related to psychology, but uh, yeah, or just anything interesting. Okay. Was Prodigy your first podcast? Yeah, first. Well, first and only. I did like a test one before that, but uh, yeah, that one was the the only one I really ever did. And I don't. I probably may do one more for fun, but I don't plan on ever doing it like behind the mic professionally. Not that good. So I prefer to let other people who are talented at it do that part. It is a talent and a desire to be behind the microphone that. Those that podcasts are kind of scratching our heads over those that don't like, why, why do you not like to talk into a microphone? Some of them forgetting that they didn't like to talk into a microphone when they first started too. So well, we'll see what the future brings to you. I know with a lot of producers in like television that they had no desire to get in front of the camera whatsoever. So yeah, I can understand that. So you had no idea what podcasting was, and then you knew a guy, and then all of a sudden you're working in the podcasting industry. How did you learn how to podcast? Well, I had listened to basically two podcasts before I got into it. Stuff You Should Know and John Hodgman's show. Actually, one of the people I knew, what, the person I knew was Chuck Bryant from Stuff You Should Know. He was like, yeah, we're hiring producers. Uh, you can come interview, and they just hired me. But I learned by, well, first at the very beginning from people who worked at iHeart, formerly How Stuff Works, who taught me. But then I quickly just went off on my own um, and learned at a aggressive rate or whatever. It makes it sound weird. But yeah, the Reddit podcasting community is amazing because you see these questions asked and people like yourself are answering them. And then over time, that knowledge just gets into your brain. So a combination from learning from some masters, uh, personal experience, and getting some advice on the podcasting subreddit. Well, actually, the people that I learned from at iHeart were not masters. There were some music people there, but they weren't teaching. So the, 
I find that uh, people who were, like have a background in music that got into podcasting are the best for learning stuff like engineering and editing and that type of stuff. But yeah, producing, you know, I feel like that, um, that just, I guess, comes from experience or just like, this is what makes sense to me. But I do think that one thing that people ignore is polling their audience and figuring out what they want. It's more about, you know, what they think people want, but uh, that can be sort of misleading. Yeah, okay. Definitely, I think it's underused. I think a lot of hobby podcasters feel like they don't have a big enough audience to sample correctly. But even if you don't, you can ask the 150 listeners, 220 listeners, 2,000 listeners, whatever you had to ask them, you know, what they think and they'll let you know and you could follow it or not. Either way, it's your podcast. I recommend asking power listeners. I feel like we all know them, but they're the people who listen to podcasts basically all day, every day while they're working. and. They probably listen to your podcast too, or if you find any of those, I feel like their information is really valuable. So you started at iHeart. How do you think your podcasting has improved since you first started producing and podcasting? Ooh. Oh man. You know, I just became really interested in the medium. And uh, the medium by itself is, is just fascinating to me because it sort of came out of nowhere. Like it's kind of radio, but it's like radio on demand. But the power of it is, in my opinion, that you don't have to use your eyes. And in our lifestyles these days, there's a million things going on competing for our attention. So if you can get information or entertainment to somebody without people using their eyes, that's really valuable. So that was a big sort of like revelation for me. But yeah, I learned, I like to think that a lot of it uh, came from, you know, just like editing like a billion episodes and then mixing and, um, and then really talking to people who are super experienced in the industry like yourself. Oh, I guess maybe not, I shouldn't call it the industry, but uh, who've been doing it since, you know, for a long time. But yeah, there's, even though I've been around and I've, I've done a lot of downloads and I've done work for This American Life, there's a ton of stuff that I can learn from people like you. So I don't feel like I know everything. I'm just interested in like learning more. You mentioned one thing that you learned through experience with editing. When you're editing, are you looking at taking out crutch words? Are you looking at how to stitch all the information together? What's important? What's not? Take the stuff that's not important out, that sort of thing. Are there time limits that you're trying to fit something into? I mean, what exactly are you taking from that editing? So in the beginning, so one thing that I've grown a lot at is not editing as much, like learning to have a lighter touch because I care way more than other people do. And so finding that balance, but then also I learned that the editing, like it's about engagement. That's the most important thing, like technical editing or cutting out words or making it listen, like very listenable to that's not nearly as important. And that's especially something important for me to remember because I'm the type of person that wants to like make it completely perfect. And that's a waste of my time I've learned. So some imperfections are absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because when it comes to edits, the number one problem I see is the edit doesn't sound natural. So if I can hear that there was an edit, there's a problem. If you can't make a smooth edit, don't make it. I think I've reached about that point myself. I think Stephen was lambasting me earlier on in my career for having too heavy of a hand, as you called it, editing. And recently, as I'm going through stuff, there's just stuff that I want to take out, but I can't. So I have to leave it in. And I'm like, 
I listen back to it at (laughs) normal speed, not at, so true story. I edit at a faster speed, somewhere between 1.3 and 1.7 speed in Vegas pro. And everybody sounds like chipmunks, but I get through it a little bit faster. And once you've edited for a while, you know what you're looking for and stuff like that. If I find, let's say a crutch word like, um, I will go back and try to take it out because I think it's a waste of time for an um to be in there for the audio listener. Now for a video listener, it might be okay because it's hard to take that um out without looking like the person is saying something, but nothing's coming out of their mouth, right? I do try to take it out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. If I play it back and there's no way that that next word sounds natural, no matter how much or little space I put in between there, then I got to leave it in. And that's just an example of having a lighter touch. It's a heavier touch from the aspect of, I want to take it out. So I go in and I try to take it out, but if it doesn't work, I got to move on and just let it go. So I guess I do waste a little time trying to take it out, but I've learned that there's just some crutch words that are combined with other words that I can't separate after all these years. And I just leave them in. And so, and, um, are a couple of examples. I'm a transgressor big time. It's everything I read for read for myself is scripted, but I find that, uh, people respond better when I think it's more natural, even if that means leaving in mistakes. Um, and that's something I've struggled with really. You mentioned to me offline that is one of the things you wanted to talk about is writing how you will actually speak. I believe you called it the ear, something about the ear. Writing for the ear. Writing for the ear. What is involved with that? Yeah, so this is about when you write a scripted intro. You did your intro without a script, right? Or maybe just some notes. I can't do that. I have to read, but it's hard to read. Uh, There's a lot of podcasts that are narrative. So when you write those scripts, the tendency when you write uh, versus when you write for the ear is different because you tend to, and like an academic style, use less words, bigger words that convey meaning. But those are harder to understand, especially when podcasting, where when you're reading, you can just go right back. 15 seconds or 10 seconds or whatever paragraph and reread it to comprehend. In podcasting, you can't. I mean, you can skip back, but it's inconvenient. So if, if a person is loses the train of thought or argument, then you know they're going to be kind of lost. Also, it's not engaging, I think, to hear people talk like that. So the writing for the ear is really writing your script based on how you would talk to a friend at a bar. And that's the whole concept. You can get it right out of a book. I took a lot of the guide I wrote from an NPR book. I'm trying to remember the power of sound. So yeah, that's a really important thing because um, you know, I was working with a host that just had difficulty with that. And it really made me think about how I write for what I'm reading. And it, it comes down to you know, writing short declarative statements, uh, not using big words. And then, but more importantly for me, it's being casual. So it's okay. Your dog barks, leave it in. You know, like I think people would really engage with that over something that sounds perfect. That's something that I I feel strongly about. I was just going to say, so if you're trying to write, like you're talking to somebody in a bar without the loud noises and shouting, but you just said, leave it in. Yeah, I guess you make a judgment call in there. If you think it's something that would make somebody turn off the mic, like right now I can hear my own mouth sounds. 
I'd pull those out because that would drive me insane in about three seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Right. That type of stuff. Definitely. You want to make it so that the person who's listening, you know, doesn't have to decide whether or not the information's worth it to turn it off. But I do think that people engage well with stuff that's raw, stuff that they can relate to because everyone has lots of struggles and probably is just barely making it along. At least that's what it feels like. But uh, I think people relate better to that. Just in my experience, I was very buttoned up at first and I got the best reaction from stuff that I was just really raw in. And it was more fun for me too. It's just something I feel strongly about. We're going to find all about that in the Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a couple of weeks because I cannot spend time editing. So it's going to be a couple of raw cuts that get into the feed. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to take a step back. When did you start producing? When did you start working for iHeart? Was that like about the 2020 timeframe, 2019 timeframe, or was it before? Yeah, it was right about 2019. I, I guess I sort of, I guess, well, I got into it very quickly because I got medicated for my ADHD. So I, I sort of speed ran it, but yeah, only about three and a half years. Okay. If you could have told yourself one thing to make it easier as you started working in the podcasting industry, what would that be? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, in the industry? Oh. Mm. So, I, you know, I, it sounds pretty generic, but I would say for me, it's been networking, just making connections. I know it's like not a very great answer, but. Uh, no, it's a great answer, actually. Networking. We advocate networking, finding a podcast mentor, finding your podcasting community so that you can ask questions, you know, whether it's the our podcasting subreddit, whether it's the better podcasting discord, a Facebook group on podcasting, you know, whatever it is, find your community so that you can ping stuff off of and learn stuff and everything. I think actually that's a great piece of advice is to network and find those individuals that you can bounce stuff off of. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with how to podcasting as I just transcribed it to could be anything about podcasting, could be finding guests, could be actually monetizing your podcast and working with ad agencies or something like that. So it could be anything to deal with podcasting. I think I have one that's maybe a little bit more uh, original than the first one I get. But yes, uh, I, I do advocate for networking with people who are doing the exact same thing as you because I just think it creates a lot of opportunities or not the similar thing. So if you're a host or and you're not editing it, I would suggest listening to your raw audio. That's a big deal. Hosts who don't listen to their own raw audio, I think, have a harder time improving. I've heard it called a mic check, like they used to do on radio, probably still do, where you, after you have your, say you're doing morning radio, right? And after you finish your session, you go in with the producer and they go through several different clips of what happened and you break it down and you see how you could have done it better, whether that was your speaking on the microphone or how the whole thing, the whole segment was presented or whatever. But I do think that that mic check is a very important part of podcasting. I've actually set aside time to go through a mic check with my co-hosts over the years. I actually haven't done it in about a year and a half, maybe since COVID actually two years, but we will sit down. I will have listened to their audio and I will have given put in notes and say, okay, this is what you can do better. This is what I saw. Let's talk about it. How can we do this better? That sort of thing. 
So the, I think those mic checks are very important. And if you're not editing the show, you never get that opportunity because you just don't think about it. Rarely will you hear the edited that. version where you sound good. So you're like, I feel like in some sense that's enabling to uh, certain hosts. Yeah. Right. And then last episode, when I was talking to Bandrew Scott, he has said this story. Oh, yes. He told it last uh, episode, but he's also told it before how he spent an entire year spending 10 to 15 minutes a day talking into a microphone and then critiquing that on his own to get his yeah. speech better and his presentation better. It's the same thing. It's a mic check. No, oh, yeah, I call matter. that developing your voice. Okay, there you go. You definitely see people like him and, you know, Jack Resider just talk about how they spent so much time up front doing that. And I, you know, I hear that from people who are very successful. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know if I could ever be like that. You know, it's just, but you respect, it's very something you, like people respect to you. I can point people to my very first podcast episode and they can listen to that if they can stomach it. And then they'll <laughs> listen to me now. Very, very different. Very different. It's been over 10 years, but I've developed impressive. that voice. Yeah, you, as long as you put a little bit of effort into it, you're going to improve over time. You yeah. can improve a lot faster than I did by putting in a lot more time in the front end, that's for sure. But it took me a while to get to where I am, and I still have to improve. Like Bandrew yeah. asked me last week, what is your crutch word? Oh, it's the word so. I hate it when I say that. And I've <laughs> mentally been through my head and when I've been talking so far in this episode, in this chat, going, yeah, I've said it about 20, 25 <laughs> I, I need to back away from saying that and uh, just make the whole thing better. That's a deliberate practice, right? From the 10,000 hour rule where you just focus practice. But for, I feel like for the, for a fair amount of hobbyists, if they want it to just be fun, I would be like asking your audience, is this something that bothers you? But the hard part is, you know, people tend to just want to like placate a person who's asking for feedback. So you have to ask for specific feedback. That's true. I know a lot of people used to put in polls, like a, a, a survey from SurveyMonkey, I, I believe it was called at the time. I don't even, I yeah, haven't used it them in a while. And just put in very specific questions in there and then have as many of their listeners respond and see what they get out of it. And is, I would agree, the more specific questions you ask, the more valuable that feedback is actually going to be. And I got that straight from Jack Resider when I, um, that's what he says. And it's, it's totally true. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much big on the power listeners, the people who li they'll listen to every single one of your episodes, you know, and they're like, I listened to your episode. You're like, really? Uh, thanks. <laughs> if you do have a Patreon, I could see asking inside the patron, putting a post out and just say, asking, okay, here's your monthly feedback, you know, go ahead. And if you feel comfortable with everybody who's a patron, being able to see the comment, go ahead and comment here. If not, then, you know, DM me or whatever, and let me know what you think. I know daily tech news show DTNS with Tom Merritt, they send out a survey at least once a year. Sometimes it's more than that. And they get some feedback from their audience, very candid feedback because they have a very active listening audience. Anyway, people that listen daily because they want to be up to date with the news. They have three shows. They have a five minute which is more with ads, but they have a five minute, here's what's going on in the news today, quick hits. Then they have a half hour show called Daily Tech News Show. And the first one is called DTNS Headlines. And then they have Daily Tech News Show where they expand on one or two topics in there and they hit the quick hits and then expand. And then they have a third, which 
is a wrapper around the live show where they give their patrons that pay for it all the banter before and afterwards. Oh, cool. They have three different shows, and depending on what your level of interest is, you can hit any one of those three shows and it works for them. And because of that, they just have a very active listening audience who, when the survey comes out, they're like, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you what I think, because if I don't, you're not going to know that I don't like this and I like more of this. They'll put it in negative reviews on Apple. If you give them a space to like share that people who like the show, you know, that, and then you like respond, that's engagement right there. And that's very valuable. Right. So one of the things that you wanted to talk about was marketing. And I know a lot of hobby podcasters are thinking, how do I promote my show? How do I promote my episodes? How do I market my show out there? And you have a few tips to talk about there. Yeah, right. This is like the number one pain point for indie podcasters because they get into it. They're like, I got this great idea. And then they're like, oh, no, marketing is a whole nother job that I have to learn how to do. And I'm just trying to make uh, something that people like to listen to. But the thing is, is that, you know, they realize there's lots of people that want to listen to your show that don't know about it. So how do you go about doing that? Well, that's hard, right? The number one thing that everyone will say is make your content good because then your marketing efforts are much more valuable. Your conversion are conversion rates when you reach somebody that might be interested to your show is just going to be way, way higher. So all the marketing you do is going to be worth it. But uh, yeah, one, I will say that instead of getting into the like, you need to find the people that are interested in your show, which is pretty obvious. The, well, I'll start with the cross promos. Most people have an idea of what this is, but I think they don't really, most indie podcasters, I feel like aren't super taking advantage of it, is finding people, finding shows that are similar to yours in listenership or genre. Um, and and paying to advertise on those podcasts because you know the person already listens to podcasts and you know they're interested in this genre. So all of the targeting has been done for you. And podcasting, the ads, they're not that expensive. Uh, it, you know, it may be harder to like do a big buy for Joe Rogan, but a show like yours with one or two or 5,000 downloads, you know, you could afford that, right? So... I would do that with cross promos and I would ask to do host read ones where you write it out for them or just give them a couple outlines. But then tracking your marketing is a really big thing that I think people aren't really doing. And that's where you would, I've always used Chartable, but to create a link that if I create a link for, I'm going to do this, you know, a post on Reddit or Facebook or just wherever a link, I can see what traffic came from that link, but you could also do it with, Linktree, and I believe there's a podcast-specific one called Podfollow or something. And um, I mean, to be honest, I've been like, I need to make one of these because uh, it seems super simple. I would track your marketing efforts for sure, and you will see what uh, is working and what's not working. I know in Libsyn, there's a capability to give a <clears throat> specific download URL. Is there? Or a specific... Uh, yeah, to do A-B tracking, basically. Oh, man, we have Libsyn, and I didn't even know that. I'm just like, maybe my cookies are messed up because I just see like this dashboard from the 90s. Apparently, Libsyn 5 has upped the game, and I have delved into it a couple of times, but I slipped back into 4 just because it's quicker for me. But I know I got to get into 5. Most of my shows are hosted on Libsyn. This particular one is hosted on Pinecast. And I had the Pinecast. Oh, yeah. 
account. I paid $5 a month for it. I was grandfathered into it. I don't have any add-ons into it. So I was just like, this is an interim temporary show until we get the better podcasting main show off of hiatus, which by the way, for those listening is coming. Steven and I are actively talking about it. So we just don't have a date win or what it's going to look like yet. But just to let everybody know, yes, it's coming back. So in the interim, I'm doing this show and then Maybe in the future, I'll do some more of it once the Better Podcasting main show comes back, but it'll go into its own hiatus because I'll devote my time to the actual Better Podcasting main show. Anyway, I don't have a problem with it, but there are some things about this that if I was really doing a show, I would want another host. The biggest complaint that anybody ever has about Pinecast is they don't have IAB certified stats. And I think it's a bridge too far financially for them to get there because it's at least $10,000, if not more. It might be closer to $50,000. Now, I don't know the exact financials of it. And they just would prefer to put that money into other places. But if you have a show that's just going to run for a short time or a show or that you don't care about the downloads and you don't care about some of the more advanced features you might be able to get with Captivate, Buzzsprout, Transistor, Libsyn, any one of those, Podbean, then Pinecast is a great value in my opinion. But I do know that there are some advanced features in Libsyn that I've never taken advantage of because I've never had the need to do A-B testing, but who knows, we might do it in the future. Cross promos is a big one. We do it on the Gunna Geek Network through our pre-rolls. Now, this show is not officially a part of the Gunna Geek Network, simply because I've never really asked Steven if it's a part of the Gunna Geek Network. In our minds, it's kind of obvious if either one of us or if our other co-founder, Chris, if any one of us does a show, it's like, okay, it's on the network sort of thing. We don't have to apply, go through a committee or anything like that. Well, that's like the benefit of being in a network, right? Because, uh, yeah. yeah. So we can go ahead and, and do that. But if any, anybody else is part of the network, they need to apply a new show and, and get it in there. And people have done that throughout the, the seasons and the years. But we trade off a, it's about a 20 second pre-roll, which goes into a different host of a different show uh, that everybody's content is their own. So there's a legal disclaimer in there for the network and everything. Like but that. There, that is cross promotion. We've done other things. Like doing a host read ad in the middle, like everybody will update a spreadsheet and here's my episode this week and here's what we talked about. So everybody devoted time during the episodes to do that. There was a lot of cross promotion that happened for that. I know that some other people like to cross promote by actually doing those 30 second, one minute trailers and trading them with another podcast and playing them in their ads. And then another way to cross promote is to guest on other shows, right? Because that gets you out to an entirely different office or (laughs) office, entirely different audience that you can go ahead and, and be exposed to and have them exposed to you. You have to take advantage of it. And honestly, you, you can't ever come across too slick of the only reason I'm here is to get you to come listen to my show over here because you're right. People You said it before, people have a limited amount of time and they might not have enough time to add another show into it, but they might have enough time to check you out once or twice. And maybe that's enough to get them hooked. I don't know. It's a, it's a trance. Cross promos are one of the main ways that people hear other 
or hear about other podcasts because most most people's problem that are just listeners is they're like i don't know what to listen to next so it's actually solving a problem too another point is i'm against pre-rolls i think pre-rolls should be two or three or minutes in like after the intro because i think people put their phones down like i just actually a lot of power listeners like i didn't believe it at first but they're like oh people like don't skip the pre-roll i mean uh, i thought that was weird because i mean you hit play you hit skip and you're in or a few times you get past the intro and you're listening i always thought that if you you can can turn a pre-roll into a mid-roll by doing it after the intro and i think people are less likely to skip because their phone's down and it's more valuable you know if you get into like monetizing because a pre-roll is less valuable than a mid-roll and a post roll is like worth nothing when it comes to ads. I've heard it said over and over again that your first 30 seconds is the most important 30 seconds of your podcast because a lot of people oh, tend to dip out after 30 seconds. So one of the things that yeah. I've tried to do on all my shows is do a cold opening that's 30 seconds long that explains what's going on in the show. I don't take clips of what has been said in the show and throw them up front, but I know a lot of shows that do that and if I had more time. Yeah. If I had more time. It, yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I would do that. And um, the storytelling narratives out there, they bedded music everywhere. And it's just not me. I, I like the, the straight talk for the, the, like the radio talks. I think people thing. appreciate that. Yeah. A lot of people bed music in and uh, get dramatic on, you know, hitting a point home and stuff like that, and then use it as it's ramping up to transition into something else. I just do a hard bump or a stinger, I think it's called, you know, five to 12 second stinger in between my segments over on Legends of Shield. So that's what I do over there. But I do like the mid show promo. Mm -hmm. I do like that. That's kind of what we were doing with the cross reads of the promotions before. But just to standardize shows on the Gonna Geek Network, we decided to do the pre-roll, and it has to be somewhere in that first five minutes it's or something like that. It's a lot easier like to do that. Oh, 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 you call it? Okay, so sometimes it, it happens in the first five minutes. Okay. I was going to say, it's a lot, pre-rolls are a lot easier to standardize because you don't have to bake in an ad, or like bake in an ad throw in the, in the show when there may not be an ad to fill it, you know? And a lot of people like the network stuff in the end of the entire show, but... A lot of podcast listeners, as soon as people start wrapping up, they're like, okay, I'm going to go on to the yeah. next show. So they never hear that. Or if they're constant listeners, they just don't continually hear it because they don't need to hear it. They, they are subscribed to the show. They know full well what network you're on and that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's some things in and outs there. Talking about a network, one of the things in the network that I love that I don't have to take care of, it's called the network website. So all my shows go there to the website. That's the central hub at gunnageek.com, except for this one, which is on betterpodcasting.com. I just broke cardinal sin number one of promotion, giving the listener two calls to action to go to both, right? <laughs> but my main point is with podcasting, it's always advantageous to have a website. I can't tell you how many shows that I've listened, that I've tried to listen to. Red Scott is an example that I had on two weeks ago. He's done a variety of different shows. And unfortunately, one of the shows, I won't say which one, but one of the shows does not have a website. It's just you need to get it at all these places, these distribution hubs sort of thing. And I'm like, Dude, I just want one, one place, one place where you can get everything, the about information, your shows, contact information, just want it one place, right? 
So what else does a podcast website need to be? Yeah, well, that, you're right. It is home base. And so you can say, anytime you give any, inter, uh, what's it called? Like a call to action to a listener. You can be like, you know, it's on our episode page. It's on our website. As opposed, were they to giving, I don't know, a bunch of different information. It's really an engagement thing for me, you know? There's information that people want. And then also, I will say, one thing about iHeart is that I, they never, they, we didn't have individual websites for each podcast. I made one for myself because I'm into WordPress and stuff. But what that does is it's an SEO thing too. So, you know, let's say your pod, name of your podcast is, is the exact same as somebody else's or similar to somebody else's. Like mine was Prodigy. There's also the Prodigy podcast or American Prodigy. But if you Google Prodigy podcast, even though my show name is not Prodigy podcast, it's just Prodigy, mine comes up, my website comes up before everything else. And also with iHeart, I was like, you know, Apple's outranking us in search for if somebody Googles for a podcast, Apple's going to come up before us. But an individual show, uh, website's going to come up before that. So then also people, you can drive people from there to whichever app you want. Another thing is, you know, like with smart links, you know, you're giving the ideas that you share a link on social media and it's one link. You don't have to put like the Apple link and the Spotify link, you know, so with your episode page, you can do that. You create, um, each episode page has, you know, links to each app in it. And so that way you can share a link directly to your website and then direct people wherever you want. I think, you know, for most people, it's like, uh, I don't know how to do a website. I don't want to deal with this type of thing. And that's where the major barrier comes in. I use WordPress and that's probably actually advanced for people who are not doing web stuff. I know Squarespace, you know, stuff like that uh, is the thing about WordPress is you can make it cheaper. Like you can get hosting for four bucks a month through Green Geeks and then Whereas Squarespace, I'm assuming, is more than that. I don't know. I know one of the earlier hits on Squarespace, Squarespace was it was not meant for podcasts. Didn't have podcast-specific breakouts or anything like that. And even with the YouTube channels that I see using it, there's not a great interaction back to the YouTube channel in there. Let's face it, YouTube's not great with that anyway because they God. want you to come to their platform versus have your own platform. They need right? to give us dynamic advertising and, you know... Well, the whole, we talked about it with Bandra and I talked about it last week, the whole YouTube podcasting thing. It's just this landing page of a bunch of high visibility podcasts to begin with. So it does nothing for discoverability for new and interesting or smaller and interesting shows that don't have the name recognition out there, which I think they could be a, a huge help to yeah. like, sounds like a gap in the marketplace. Yeah put a portion of that page dedicated to that stuff that's interesting and has the same sort of engagement as the bigger shows. Whether yeah, new and noteworthy, right? Yeah, basically, right? Well, that's a big and, value if you can give people stuff that they are interested in but they don't know about. Exactly. And maybe YouTube will eventually get there because it can only benefit them, right? Because if you find something new and interesting to somebody that's within their platform to keep them on the platform, then you would think that that recommendation would be worth it because that's basically what the podcast page is, a bunch of recommendations, right? Have you been to it? Have you seen it? I think I, saw, I just read like an article about it, but I maybe like a month before I've, I started adapting the thing like, yeah, everything, we need to do video for everything, even if it's just like a audiogram style thing, just because people use the YouTube app to listen to everything. 
So it doesn't have to be video, but I'm like, you know, if there's actual people, it gets more engagement than just like the static image. One thing about websites that I will say is I don't care if you make your own through a WordPress or use Squarespace or any of the other website services out there, or if you go with your podcast hosting service provided website, my goal is for every podcast that's listening to me, they get their own website, whatever that is that you can point people to and then buy a URL and then point it to where that website is. Now, if you make your own, you can, you know, integrate the URL into the webpage, but if you're using a podcast media host provided webpage, you know, grab the URL. Like yeah, some show. of them do do uh, custom domains. Yeah. With the, yeah. yeah. Some, some of them do. Right. And then some of them, you can get your domain from wherever yeah. and then do the yeah, forward I mean. to point, point people on over. Uh, the show would be better podcasting. You can go to betterpodcasting.com and everything better podcasting related is on that website and legends of shield. Go to legendsofshield.com. That will point you to wherever I have it pointed because I don't make my own websites. So wherever I have it pointed and everything to deal with that show will be on that website. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, like it can't be something that on top of your podcast, you're also like, I'm a, I am have to do website stuff, you know? And there, there's definitely ways that you can do that as well. But that's perfect. I guess Podpage is another big one out there. I've not used yeah, that, but I hear a lot like of people talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's big on our Reddit is people talk about pod page all the time. It's just, I want to, you know, it's using a service, especially when they have their own CMS or content management system, your website becomes tied to it. That's why, you know, something like WordPress is something I like because it's not tied to it. Like you own it, you can use a different hosting provider. And I do want to say like one thing, a message I want to say is do not use GoDaddy. Don't use GoDaddy. <laughs> it is this. It is the worst hosting provider that exists because they just put too much resources on shared servers. So you'll be on a server with you know I don't know fifty whatever other uh, websites, and so it's very slow, very slow. Well, they were okay for a while, and I was on I believe Bluehost with Voices Defiance back in yeah. the day when I, mm-hmm. I was I did not use WordPress for that. I hand rolled my own mm-hmm. web page mm. in HTML coding. That's how back far I go there. <laughs> I should have used WordPress, but no, I, I used or the enroll Drupal back then. We were using Drupal and uh, <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to say about Bluehost and GoDaddy, they're all owned and I can't remember the name of the company now, but they're all owned by the same company now. And so they do that. They throw all of their websites onto virtual hosts. And like you said, you could be one of 50, you could be one of 50,000 on the same virtual machine, basically. And you end up throttling yourself that way. So unfortunately, there's a lot of that in the industry. There's more than just GoDaddy and Bluehost on it. There's, uh, what was that? HostGator, I believe, was another one. That's another one of those. I actually, I like uh, Green Geeks because it's, first off, it's super cheap. I think I'm paying like three or four bucks a month. And then there's also the, you know, there's the WordPress managed ones, like, like SiteGround and stuff. But you'll end up paying like $40 a month on there to have more than one website. Whereas uh, Green Geeks, it's just you know the same as any of these companies. They don't own the servers; they just rent them out. So it's really just about what you get and then customer service. So Green Geeks is like I don't know. I pay like three or four, five bucks a month. I've had it for like eight years, and you could have unlimited sites on it. So it's sort of like um, well, I was going to say Transistor, but maybe like Red Circle or something when it comes to hosting providers. So if I haven't said it before, and I think I have several times. We are both moderators of the 
our podcasting subreddit. And we see a lot of what's going on in the industry just by keeping tabs of those posts on a day-to-day basis, because that's what we have to do as moderators. We have to go in and, and look at all the posts and see all the comments and that sort of thing. Through that lens and through the lens of working in the industry, you started out at iHeartRadio. You are now executive producer of podcasts at WebMD, right? So through all those lenses, do you have any gripes about the podcast industry as a whole? Well, the biggest difficulty for podcasting is analytics for as far as, um, I guess, maybe bigger companies or whoever goes. We're not getting good consumption data. So we get a little bit from Apple and a little bit from Spotify, but it's really not enough to essentially like figure out what's wrong and what's right with our shows. And that's why we have like we need to do that survey data. But yeah, that is the number one issue. The number two issue, as I see, is it's a young industry like television's been around for however long. They've figured that stuff out. But with podcasting, it's decentralized in the sense that every app is getting that consumption data and they're not all sharing it. And I really wish we had that. And not having that, it's not like a deal breaker, but it makes advertisers more hesitant to get into it. But they they still are. But it's harder to track their return on stuff. And I do think that there's a way where ads, you can do them in a way that people are like, huh, that sounds pretty cool. I'm gonna go check that out. And it's not like, God, like, turn this ad off. Like, I don't want to say a certain network. The number one complaint in across all their shows is the ads. There's too many of them. The first, when I got in there, the very first thing I did was create a, like an automate a system for normalizing the volume. So people, the biggest complaint used to be Thank the ads God. are too loud. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I think ads should be like two luffs lower than the actual show. But yeah, so uh, too many ads, right? Yeah, so anyway, I sort of got off the rails there with my uh, No complaints. problem. That's my, on the shows that I listen to, I don't mind listening to the ads for the most part. There's one show that I take exception to this, but for the most part, I don't have a problem listening to the ads because I wanted to listen to them to support the podcast, basically. It's my, even if I'm not supporting them financially, it's a way to support them. Though number one way to get me not to do that is to do the same ad over and over and over. The number two way to get me not to do that, and they're really the same equally in priority or the frequency or whatever, is the volume. If you come in with an ad that is much louder than what I have just been listening to, and then you go back to that same volume, I, yep, skip, or even I will turn the podcast off. The other gripe that I had, it's a singular show, and I've actually stated this to him personally is Tom Merritt's daily tech news show headlines. It's a five minute show. Sometimes it has three minutes of ads before it starts. Like, dude, no, no, you get maybe a minute and a half of ads. That's all you get. Anything more than that. And I am definitely going to skip through all of them. So with that show, I won't listen to it unless I'm in a position where I can press that skip button (laughs) to get to the actual content. And that's because it's excessive. Don't make the listener have to make a decision every time that they're listening, whether it's worth it to listen or not. And that's what uh, shows like that are doing. They should have no more than one pre-roll and they can backload the pre like post-rolls. Like if they want to have more than one, but, but more than three ads on a five minute show is ridiculous. And I worked on a five minute show for years. It did like 40 million downloads before breakfast and 
the host, Laura Vandekam, great person. She was very adamant that it could not have more than one pre-roll, not have more than two post-rolls. It limits your ability to monetize. I get that because CPM rates are somewhere in the 25 to $35 per 1000 downloads. So if you get one ad, then it's just, say you get 10,000 downloads. Yeah, but people are doing more of those short episodes. So we were doing five a week, you know, she would record them all at once. So like it balances out, but if you try and load them up, I mean, when you start turning, like when you start, when that starts being the reason that people don't listen, you fuck, you've messed up. True. So you've been in the podcasting industry for about three years. Oh, probably about four years. About that. four years now? Yeah. Like th- okay. yeah, over, over three and a half. Okay. So what has been your favorite moment in a show? Whether you've done it yourself, you're hosting it yourself, or you're producing? I think uh, Black, the episode by uh, Jack Darknet Diaries, which is my favorite show. Black Duck Eggs, which is one of his earlier episodes and it was just uh really really interesting about you know social engineers and then they found this like chinese intelligence agency right across the street from this uh, huge like big tech company and uh, i just loved that episode and um i really like that sort of like that narrative style it takes a, a lot of work but uh it's really you know it's interesting to me the interesting thing about Jack shows is he doesn't go too much into the day-to-day current news. He goes into stuff that's two or three years old or more and tells that story because he doesn't want to get wrapped up in the what's going on now because it could change in six months. He wants to look more at the persistence and he wants to be able to tell a complete story on its own. So I think the way he podcasts intentionally is actually very beneficial to the audience to not leave them hanging or, okay, what's going to happen now or whatever. I mean, there's value in that too, but he gets to tell at least a complete story when he's telling his shows. Yeah. There's other podcasts that do that. And I think he should, I mean, this is a different mindset. He's one of those mindsets, like I'm going to create this very pure thing and nothing's going to mess with that. And you know, you, you respect the hell out of people like that, but I'm like, Oh, you should also do a show where it's like new stuff, you know? And Jack, if you're listening to this, which I don't think you ever will, but if you are, thank you for listening. I think you do an awesome job at what you do, and you're welcome to come on the show anytime. Jeez, uh, let's see. Uh, one of the things that we didn't hit is marketing through Reddit, and that's yeah. something that you wanted to talk about, the appropriate way to promote or market on Reddit. You think people are... Like they're interested in that. You you, you know how much we see and you are much more of an involved and better moderator than I am. But we see people who are just blindly trying to promote on Reddit. I mean, when I first started my Reddit account in whatever year, years ago, I thought it was I didn't even know what the heck it was. And I like threw an ad up for something for some backlinks. It's not like that. You know, in Reddit, if you seem like you're advertising, like that's cardinal sin number one. But it is sort of fall into the basic guidelines of you need to find only advertise in places where it makes sense, where it helps somebody. So it's like a functional advertising. So if I'm in, I join subreddits where I'm working on the topic to learn about it. And then, you know, you can ask the moderators like, Hey, I just released an episode. I want to do like a high quality post about what I learned. You don't link it. It cannot seem like advertising. The only way you do it is that you make it. So like I did an episode about this. Uh, someone's like, oh, 
you'll see it all the time if it's if you if you word it correctly people will start replying to the comment where can i hear it what's the link even then i don't share it i'm just like uh dm me and, and i'll send it to you and okay you'll be surprised at how much traffic you will get from those and that's an organic sort of artificial organic way to, to promote it really just has to be in situations where it makes sense if you go through comments like top 20 comments of a post you'll find something where a person will say something about it like for example if it's a post about the 10,000 hour rule or something i'll be like oh man i did an episode about that and here is like a really interesting bit of information and then you'll start getting people asking you for a link to the whole episode and you use a custom link and you can see what sort of traffic's coming from it one of the things that we see as moderators of the subreddit and it's really sad actually is people are doing that but they're not doing it organically they're actually using throwaway accounts to have that interaction in front of everybody else <laughs> and you don't you you spot those people out yeah not just me several of the moderators yeah. we can get in there and we we see it and i mean if it is organic and natural we let it happen but if it is not if you're doing it specifically to promote and it is not organic there are ways that we can tell and we will call you on it basically. So you have to be very careful. Another thing that I learned a long time ago, and I've heard that people want to get away from it, but it's the 80, 20 rule. It's 80% giving value to the conversation, whatever that conversation is like for me with legends of shield, it would be going into the r slash Marvel studios subreddit and enjoying those conversations and commenting and providing my own analysis and stuff like that. And then 20% of the time, you're supposed to be able to promote. Now, I would never go into our Marvel Studios and promote. I've seen it. The people get trounced on. It's just not very well taken. And it's just all joining the conversation over there. Yeah, I never... Isn't the podcasting subreddit the dumbest place to advertise a podcast? I mean, these are people who are making podcasts. They don't want to listen to your podcast. Unless unless it's like one like yours. It's about making podcasts. Yeah, how to podcasts is okay. But yeah, and there's a weekly post that we put on there in the podcasting. And there's other podcasting subreddits that do the same thing that put a weekly post on there. And hey, you can promote your episode here. And people take advantage of it. And believe it or not, people listen. I got a comment on last week's episode I did with Bandrew right before we went on live here to that comment that I made on that post with that show. It's just an example. People do listen and they will comment and some will give feedback of, Hey, I didn't like this in the show. I like this. And sometimes I think the critique is a little bit too harsh for really what it is. It's just people trying to promote their show. There is another post that we do asking for weekly feedback, but I like that asking for feedback is a great, a great way to avoid, well, get great feedback. That's from not from your own brain. And then also to avoid those really dumb one-star reviews that are like, I listened to hundreds of episodes, but you said especially instead of especially and uh, one star, which that's actual feedback that I got on uh, a one star <laughs> review is I say especially. I'm sorry. I apologize. Okay. Well, we're coming up on the end of the show. I just want to point out, especially to our audio listener, go check out the visual show for this over on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash better podcasting, because Lowell in the background as one of the prettiest PC builds that I've seen. And I've seen quite a few of them. 
over on the Gamers Nexus Discord server. There's a show your latest build on there, and there's some beautiful builds on there. Dude, that could win awards, your machine that you have on the background. I like the coloring. I liked everything you have there on also, your machine. Also, can I add in that it's a be quiet case? So uh, for podcasting, it's very quiet. And there's a setting on there that will make everything very quiet. That is actually important uh, for a be quiet case. And you actually have a be quiet cooler on there, I believe, an air cooler. I used to, but uh, I sold out and got a uh, AIO. I see it now. I see it now. Well done. Well done. Anyway, check it out. He's got a great build there. Uh, my build is good, but it's not that good. Matter of fact, I have mine linked to my CPU temperature, so it will be green as much as possible. So it looks like a big Borg cube. If you're familiar with Star Trek at all, it looks like a big Borg cube, all green. And every picture I take with it is green because if it's not green, I'm not going to take a picture. I'm going to wonder what the heck's going wrong because it's running too hot. And yeah, but yeah, check that out. And do you have to build your own PC to podcast? No, but I'm telling you, it makes, especially if you're doing video editing, it makes it a lot easier. It's just fun for me. To do it by, do stuff myself. Yeah. <laughs> and it was very difficult until a few months ago because the pandemic made parts oh, God, really expensive yeah. and hard to get. But yeah. yeah, the graphics cards. A lot easier to get right now. Matter of fact, there's a glut of them. So if you're listening to this episode close to when it comes out in September 2022, this is the time to buy a graphics card, by the way. I know a few of you out there are video gamers. and You're like, no, I'm going to wait for the 40 series cards. Yeah, I get oh. it. To buy the 30 series, right? So they're cheaper. <laughs> yeah, just buy the glut of 30 series cards right now. Now would be a great time to get a 3070, a 3070 Ti, a 3080 if you want a 3090, but you're going to have to still pay for it. But they're available now, so build your machine around it. All right. Lowell, thank you very much for joining me this week. It's been really fun. This is, full disclosure, the first time we actually met in person, or at least virtually. So I thought you were anonymous, actually. Until today. <laughs> Until today. It's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. SP is really SP. So yeah, yeah, this has been great. Thank you very much. If people want to check you out or contact you, where would they find you? Yeah, uh, you, I'm not uh, looking for any sort of uh, downloads because I don't even make a show really much anymore. But if you want to reach out to me with any questions about, you know, how do I pitch a network or any of that stuff or any questions, if you don't want to reach out to Stargate because he is a wealth of information, you can reach out to me, just my email, Brilla, L-E-B-R-I-L-L-A at Gmail. It's also, you could Google Lowell uh, and find me on whatever social medias. I am more than happy to give you as much time as you need for whatever. That's awesome. That's one of the things that we didn't talk about is how to pitch to a network, pitch a show to a network. Maybe we'll have you on in the future to talk about that because I think that's important. Sure. All right. Well, thank you very much, Lo. Great. Thank you. And thank you for spending time with Lowell and myself. If you like content like this, please subscribe to the YouTube channel and like the video. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, hit us a follow on your podcatcher app of choice. Stephen and I would greatly appreciate it. Next week, you will want to tune in as I chat with a really cool award-winning Hall of Fame podcaster. Scott Johnson. Scott and I have actually been missing each other in similar communities for years. Give you a little bit of background on Scott. He's created the popular 56 Geeks poster. He started the webcomic Extra Life in 2001. 
And right before the pandemic, he created the Fred and Can web comic. Scott is a video gamer and a host of many shows and also runs the Frog Pants Podcast Network. Scott also used to host and run the annual Nerdtacular convention out in Utah. Scott stays active in his community via Discord through the weekly shows and by joining other shows like guesting on the acclaimed Daily Tech News Show with Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane. If you have any questions, please watch us on Tuesday, September 13th, 2022 at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be streamed on the Better Podcasting YouTube channel. In the meantime, if you have any podcasting questions, join the podcasting conversation on our Discord server, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can find both Stephen and myself there every day. See everybody next time.